Hello and welcome to ELT Time with Garnet Education, where we talk with an industry guest about the hot topics and what's brewing in the ELT community. Hi everyone, welcome back to ELT Time. I hope everyone's enjoying the series so far. I'm Jazz, I'm the digital editor here at Garnet, and I'm going to be sitting in on today's episode where we've decided to bring back Tea Break. If you missed episode four with myself, Ella, Rosie and Alice, then you might be like, what on earth is Tea Break? Well, we wanted a chance for a few of us here at Garnet to be able to sit down, grab a cuppa and take half an hour to discuss something we're passionate about within ELT, and that's Tea Break. Okay, so today we have Rachel. Hello. Matt. Hello. And Ella. Hi. Here to discuss whether English teaching experience prepares you for working in ELT publishing. They all have varying amounts of experience, so I'll let them introduce themselves and their teaching experience, and then we'll get on into it. We've got Rachel calling in today. Uh, Rachel, do you want to go first? Yes, great stuff. Thank you very much. Um, So my teaching experience was actually all in Greece because I lived there for quite a long time. And I taught for about 10 years while I was living there. I taught people from preschool, so about four years old, to um, one lady who was 80. So I taught at all levels, really. And um, the thing the thing just to say about Greece, to put some context around it, is that in Greece, families want their children to learn and pass, to learn the um, material for the Cambridge first exam and get that exam under their belts. But by the time they're about 13 or 14, So there's a lot of pressure if you're teaching, particularly if you're teaching privately, to get through books as quickly as you can. And it does it does kind of change your uh, attitude towards the material and the way you use it, because there's not a lot of time to be imaginative. Sometimes it's all about getting it done. Mm. Great. Okay, Um, Matt. So, yeah, I left university with an English degree. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I thought I'll do some teaching in what turned out to be Japan. I went there working in a no training whatsoever, no no teaching background, hadn't given it a great deal of thought and was somewhat thrown in at the deep end working in a, a language, a private language school, Nova. It's kind of a huge chain in Japan during the 90s and early 2000s, I suppose. And yeah, I did that for two years. Um, got a load of experience doing that uh, in just in conversation schools, they're called. So the main focus was to give um, students who theoretically have pretty solid sort of grammar, grammatical knowledge and the basics of the language down, but didn't get much opportunity to talk sort of with native speakers. So it was more of a, a conversation school than anything, although we did do exam prep and other stuff as well. Um, I taught, yeah, same, similar to, to Rachel. I taught some real youngsters. I think I had a one-on-one lesson with a two-year-old every week, which was interesting. And then I also had, I think my other student was 94, similar language level to the two-year-old, to be honest, but I did a whole range of ages. And then I came back and did um, did my CELTA after I'd finished teaching, <laughs> teaching in Japan, which was interesting. It made the, doing the CELTA much less intimidating. And then did some um, summer school teaching in England for that summer um, before moving on to other things. Mm, okay. And then Ella? Um, yeah, so... Um... Similarly to Rachel in that I've only really got teaching experience working in one country, which was Spain. Um, But also similarly to Matt, I uh, came into ELT after my degree, not really knowing what I wanted to do. And I got an online TEFL qualification before I started and did some kind of experience in a couple of summer schools in Spain and then spent a 
academic year in southeastern Spain, working in an academy which was based in a school. So a lot of the students, um, it was like a separate thing, but then they also had conversation classes during the day. So they all learned English at school. But then some of them had additional exam prep classes in the evenings and afternoons, which is what I did. Like the other two guys, I had experience teaching probably from about six to about mid 50s so not as wide of a range but they were all Cambridge exam um, prep classes and there was definitely a kind of push to get through the books as quickly as possible so quite quite tight deadlines that was it really I was going to say that's kind of totally the opposite of my experience in that we had to teach the same lessons over and over and over again and it was kind of more like oh my goodness what am I going to do with this lesson 17a again I've had this student six times we've done this lesson 15 times what the hell am I going to do with this lesson this time it's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum I suppose could I jump in and say something too well I just want I just wanted to say something about what Ella said and I've said about having to go through the books quite quickly and I at the time I mean what Ella said prompted me to remember that actually at the time when I was teaching initially and I was quite inexperienced it never it didn't really occur to me that you could actually do more with the material it was it took me quite a while to realize that it was my responsibility as a teacher to do something with that material to make it more engaging more exciting more appropriate for the classes so just sort of how you evolve I suppose as a teacher depending on the uh, where you are and and what's the what the confines are I guess Mm, very situational I definitely Mm -hmm. agree with that I think the the sense of urgency you have right at the beginning when you've just got this book and you've got to get through it and then as the year progresses you start to kind of get a bit more acquainted with the material and realize that there are different ways to was there was there a lot to get through within the each lesson though because my my experience of the textbooks I had was like sometimes there would be almost nothing it would be like it would be one guy saying what he was going to do after he got out of prison and it was like six lines of text plus an explanation of how to form the positive negative and question form and it was like over to you Matt teach lesson for 45 minutes and that kind of threw you back on your own resources pretty quickly you were like oh okay yeah I need to work something out Mm. no I agree there was sometimes so little age that I didn't have a clue what I was going to do get them doing things that weren't probably terribly related to the lesson so yeah yeah but then I learned that it was up to me like you say to fill the spaces and work with it anyway Um, another thing though just going back to teaching experience the academy that I worked at it was the first year it was in its infanthood, let's say. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of a guinea pig in how much of the, of the exam prep we could do within the amount of time we had for lessons before the end of the academic year. So it was kind of, let's see if we can get through, if, yeah. we, can, if we can actually teach the kids enough for them to be able to do the exam in the summer. Wow, puts a lot on you as a newbie teacher. Yeah, yeah, it did. It did put quite a lot on me, but... Um, there was kind of a sense of we're we're all in this together, <laughs> me and the students. So. <laughs> Them more so than nice. you, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so moving on from that, um, does everyone want to talk about how they then transition from teaching into publishing? Rachel, do you want to go first? Um, right. Well, how did I transition? I had this kind of thing from when I was very young because my mother was a writer. So I um, grew up to the sounds of a typewriter keys, really. And I always wanted to be a writer. So I kind of started teaching because I'd moved to Greece and it was the obvious thing to do, but, but had this yearning to be a writer and basically pestered people who worked for various large companies until they let me have a go at writing. And then bizarrely, it never occurred to me that I even could edit. I didn't even properly know what I did. Just did, but I went 
I think unusually from writing to editing. Um, and then I kind of stuck, well, I did both for a while. Then I stuck with the editing side because I kind of like getting material and trying to improve it and really thinking of getting the most out of it and that kind of thing. Is talking editing in terms of sort of content development editing rather than the proofreading and then... Well, both. No, both. Because the first editing jobs I were given were um, just edit this material. And I didn't I didn't quite know what to do with it, to tell you the truth. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of a that's kind of a vague brief, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could tell you the person who gave me that brief, but I won't (laughs) to save their blushes. But um, yeah, yeah. So it was all sorts of editing. It wasn't just content development. It was literally that kind of proofing, copy editing and so forth. Mm, Cool. Okay, Uh, Matt. Yeah, picking up my story. I did. I did one summer of um, a summer school actually in Reading, weirdly, which is where we are now. Kind of was a very different experience from what I'd experienced in Japan, in that I was teaching Spanish teenagers and Italian teenagers um, with classrooms of thirty as opposed to classrooms of four. And despite my newly newly acquired CELTA, I didn't really know what hit me. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it was an interesting, interesting five weeks summer that year. But by that point, I'd already started to think in terms of um, maybe maybe I'm not going to be an ELT teacher forever. I'm thinking about doing um, a publishing master's, which is what I ended up doing. I applied for a master's. Took me a year to eventually got on the master's, so I did some other bits and pieces before that. And then I did my publishing studies master's at City, got qualified as an editor and, well, did did a few editing courses and picked up a few editorial qualifications and then got my first job in medical publishing for the Royal Society of Medicine and did that for two years maybe and then moved to a legal publisher, did a bit of legal publishing. Obviously on the medical and the legal side, I didn't have a lot to say about the content itself because I'm neither a medic nor a, a lawyer, but I was able to kind of work with the content, <laughs> work with the content within, within certain parameters. And then eventually um, it all sort of started to make sense when I eventually moved back and started working in ELT publishing at Garnet about seven years ago. And so then, yeah, my, my career path suddenly started to make sense. Which it hadn't previously. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Ella. Um, so while I was teaching in Spain, I started to kind of think about whether I wanted to continue doing that for another year or whether I wanted to do something back in the UK. And I think that's when I decided that I'd like to go into publishing. Um, I did an English literature degree before that. And I I think that was the point where the government started giving loans for masters as well, because it wasn't the government that was doing it before that. So I think that was what pushed me to apply for a master's. Clearly, I didn't do a lot of research, though, because I didn't realise that you could do a master's in publishing until I was on my English literature (laughs) master's um, at Cardiff but uh, while I was doing that I did quite a few types of work experience in various publishers in Wales unfortunately you have to speak Welsh to be able to work in publishing in Wales so when the job at Garnet came up that was my first realization that you could work in ELT publishing and um, yeah the, the two kind of merged together the the English language teaching and the the want to go into publishing kind of work together really well. Mm. So yeah, here I am. Cool. (laughs) Here (laughs) I am. Here you are. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, that kind of moves on nicely into our first point, which is talking about whether ELT teaching and teaching experience prepares you for working in ELT publishing. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Do you want to elaborate? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think 
like Rachel was saying about how you when you more the more you get used to the books you're using and stuff I think that really helps I think you kind of can see how it's all put together and also with just kind of generally teaching there's a lot of skills that you learn during teaching which help with publishing such as time management and working independently does anyone else have any can I can I yes I do yes can I say something sorry to interrupt um, I vividly remember when I was teaching that I often used to think, oh, I could so easily, I don't know why I don't just do it. And um, then when I did start writing, I realised I couldn't write those books quite that easily. And it's not as simple as you, uh, as I thought anyway. And I think, I think the crux is that you come at the material from different perspectives. And uh, I've known teachers, myself included to an extent, who have been excellent teachers, then they've transitioned to writing. And it's been a real disaster because they haven't, they haven't seen behind the material. They haven't understood the rationale for what, for the words that are on the page. They haven't understood how to write multiple choice distractors. And they haven't understood writing an audio script and leaving a long enough gap, for example, between the different answers so that students can write down, then re-engage with the audio, then write down again, and so on and so forth. So I think it does prepare you in terms of that kind of shared value, if you like, of educating in in an exciting and meaningful way. But I don't think it is necessarily a smooth transition from teaching to publishing. I think there's a a kind of intermediate stage where you have to make a certain amount of adjustments if you're going to get there successfully. Yeah, there's loads of skills, just basic desk editor skills that apply to all kinds of editing, right? That isn't just yeah. ELT publishing, the, the absolute basics of what you need. You need to know how to proofread, you need to know how to copy edit, you need to know how to content development uh, develop, you yeah. need to know what you do in each phase of it and what those things actually mean and what the difference is and what you do and don't do. And those kind of fundamental building blocks you don't, you certainly don't get in an ELT classroom. That's a, that's a totally different set of skills for sure. Mm. But it's interesting, I guess, with you, Rachel, how you went in, you started in writing, because I think that would, that's a really interesting way to get into publishing, Um, you know, using the skills that you learn in teaching to then to write, and then you've kind of, from there, gone into editing, because I think most people would think that it would start the other way around. So you start editing, and then you move on to writing. Yes. So I guess you have a slight, you have a different perspective on kind of even in editing and that sort of thing because you've been a writer too Mm, I think so and and maybe that's maybe that's it maybe it depends on how what what past experiences you've got and how you kind of amalgamate them to do whatever you want you see as your next step because you draw on what you know so yeah I think I think it was a bit of an unusual way to do things but I think I think the writing was a good preparation for editing I suppose logically in a way whereas if I'd gone straight to editing I don't know I don't know it would have been can't quite imagine really yeah I mean I suppose if you think about it from a really basic way things like marking people's work kind of like editing isn't it and having to kind of proofread things that they've written and that sort of thing but um yeah I think for me I wanted to make sure that I'd done quite a lot of training um coming into editing I started as a publishing assistant and then I while I was doing that job I went on a standard publishing training course so that definitely helped. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess in a way that writing would seems like quite a natural progression from, from teaching as well. 
Um, it's quite interesting. So you write, we, we were discussing before how often, um, before you, in my case, you go off and teach English as a foreign language and you might not, you know all the grammar inherently, but you don't necessarily know how to talk about it. And then often people's <laughs> first first experience of actually thinking about how, you know, what the difference is between the past simple and the perfect tense or whatever is, is actually teaching it to someone. And obviously you can kind of get through that pretty easily because you've got it in front of you as a uh, you know, in the textbook. So you kind of work it out, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And you sort of kind of teach it as you go along, but you've not necessarily thought about it formally. <laughs> um, no, you previously. often know that something's wrong, but you can't <laughs> actually back it up with anything. <laughs> That's when the textbook comes in handy. Mm. But you wrote a grammar book, right, Rachel? I think I might have written more than one, to tell you the truth. But this is to amaze me that I did, because when I started teaching, I did not know how you pronounced the word gerund. And if you had asked me what a conditional sentence was and then said there are like three or four different kinds, I'd known what you were talking about. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, I don't know, just really uh, quite a shock, quite a revelation. So I had a lot of learning very quickly myself. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's interesting. When you're developing content and you're thinking about, yeah, I think you do, once you've taught, um, you kind of have this inherent inbuilt understanding of, you, you sort of instinctively visualize how you would make it work in the classroom, right? So if, if you're writing content, you can, that's kind of the standpoint you come from. It, uh, you do, yes, I think that's true. But when you're teaching, it's you and the students. You're, you're writing or you're creating or developing content, it's it's like you and the content. And you've got to make assumptions about the person delivering that content. So there's a little element of an unknown quantity, if you like. And I mean, maybe that's where teachers' books come into play, but then there's a whole separate debate around the use of teachers' books, I suppose. I just think it's, again, a slightly different perspective. And um, you might teach the content in a certain way with a certain class, but what you've got to try to write that middle line content content that's going to be generically applicable for a teacher who gets hold of it. So I think it's a yeah, it's, it's a challenge. So if you're, you're saying that we've got to create content that's rich enough to be taught in various different ways, depending on different classrooms and different contexts. Yes, yes, and I think and I do believe quite strongly in really good teachers' books because, and I know that it, I didn't use teachers' books in the beginning. I'm not even sure I use them in the end of my teaching career very much. But, and so I know they're a bit neglected, but teachers' books can give such a good tool to the teachers to utilise that content and exploit it, in, and as you say, in different ways for different class groups. And mm. A good teacher's book makes a huge difference, actually. It was a, it was a complete mm. revelation to me because I'd never seen one. Um, until I in, until I started, I did I did like prep for working in in this country. But after I came back from my two years in Japan, and I'd never I'd never properly gone through a well constructed teacher's book, and it was like, oh my goodness, there's all these ideas for activities and drills, and mm. <laughs> I didn't know this was a thing. I thought I had to make this all up myself. <laughs> I know it's kind of good that you had that beginning. Yeah, I, mean, I was very dependent on my on the teacher's book throughout my entire. Yeah, it was so dog-eared by the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right that there are lots of the kind of the warm-ups that they often suggest is like good ways to get people talking and then extra activities at the end if you've got time those sorts of things really kind mm. of often help the kids to engage a bit more with what they're learning so you mentioned time management Ella do you think that was something you you picked up as an ELT teacher or was that something that you'd already developed as a as a postgrad student um I think it was definitely during teaching because I mean even just like time management of a lesson let alone you know thinking about what you need to get done by the end of the term and the year and that sort of thing it's time management on a more of a micro scale like 10 minutes by 10 minutes five minutes by yeah five minutes. <laughs> yeah 
Oh, so one of the one of the modules on the TEFL course was crazy amounts of lesson plans that like mm-hmm. start thinking about it in that way. But then I think the more the more confident you get, the less that you need to refer to the lesson plan. But I think at the beginning I was very much like, right, so we've got 30 seconds left of this. And then we're gonna move on. But also obviously with teaching, there's a lot of time outside of the classroom that needs to be utilized properly if you don't want to spend you know 9am till 9pm working every day so yeah I think I think time management is is completely vital because you are I think a lot of teachers are just kind of left left to their own devices to kind of sink or swim so to speak so Mm. and you know you've got to be out of the classroom by a certain point and can you compare that to working as an editor do you feel that's you have to discipline your time management in the same way or is it slightly different um yeah I think so I mean I think with with various tasks that might come up throughout the day or throughout the month or whatever there's definitely an element of like right what do I need to prioritize um what needs more of my attention than other things often we have quite concrete deadlines and then other deadlines which can be a bit more flexible so I think yeah definitely prioritizing of time I think is something that is definitely used in both Mm -hmm. publishing and and teaching Mm -hmm. and again sort of it depends where you work, but we definitely are kind of given the, what's the word? I, I feel that I have been given the, the space to kind of work off my own steam here and kind of like working independently without someone breathing over your shoulder, checking that you're getting on with things. So I think mm. that's mm. definitely a skill that I learned in teaching that I was then, I then proved here. <laughs> and then I was allowed by my lovely manager to then work off my own steam and she would trust me to get the work done in time. Yeah, they're both, they're both roles. You kind of take on quite a lot of responsibility quite quickly once you kind of, I mean, it was exaggerated in the sense of some 21-year-old going into a school and suddenly being in charge of getting someone through quite an important English exam. It's, that's a mm. lot to put on someone that's relatively inexperienced. But yeah, again, mm. I guess when you're a young editor and you do transition from that point when you're doing proofreading and copy editing for someone else to suddenly these are your projects, go away. You've got six months to deliver this project by this date. You've got, you'll have all the support you need, but it is your responsibility now. This is on you. Like, off you go. Manage your time, you know, manage your resources, get it done. It's kind of, yeah, parallels between the two situations, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I think if I hadn't had that before, it would have been a much more daunting task. Mm. My task would have been a lot more daunting, I think. I didn't have the teaching experience to go, okay, I can handle this because mm. I've dealt with a lot of small children in a room and <laughs> managed to get yeah. them through something. So. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That is one of the big differences is that in editing, <laughs> there's never that moment of, oh my goodness, this is this is going disastrously. I literally don't know how I'm going to get through the next five minutes, which you can have as a, as yeah. a, as a teacher. Like, this is absolutely bombing. This isn't working. The students are not understanding what, I, what I've set up. Actually, I'm not sure I understand what I just tried <laughs> to set up. This, this activity is not working. I've got four businessmen looking at me presenting the fact that I'm wasting their time and that, that I haven't planned a lesson properly and you don't get that as an editor you can always go back and kind of oh yeah I messed that you up can just this is sit annoying back and like have a yeah. real think this about is annoying. I, I, come back know, to it. I renumbered all these tracks one out so I'm gonna have to go back and do it all but it's yeah. kind of a different frustration and annoyance but at least you're not you don't have expectant people looking at you and thinking that you're a complete mug yeah or mm. lots of Spanish children <laughs> like, talking much other going what do we do? IKSR. IKSR is what they always said. What do we do? And like, I can't <laughs> pretend that I understand you because I'm supposed to be speaking in English. <laughs> I'm going to try and reword this. That's yeah. really funny. Apologise for my Spanish uh, accent there. Anyone who's actually a native Spanish speaker? <laughs> Um, Rachel, you mentioned a bit earlier about maybe some things that don't quite prepare you that are very different. We just kind of touched again on some differences. Do you think there are parts of ELT teaching that just don't prepare you at all 
for ELT publishing? What do you think? Uh, well, I thought about this um, earlier on, and there have been times over the past 20 years when I have seriously wondered what can prepare you for working in ELT publishing, because it's a bit of a minefield. I've met along the way quite a lot of uh, young people who've just mm. finished their masters and studied and they've moved to work in an ELT publishing office and it hasn't really quite matched up with what they expected according to the theory they've just learned and I and I I do think there's a bit of a mismatch quite honestly and uh, notwithstanding the fact that ELT publishers all seem to work in slightly different ways so the the, the sort of on one end of the spectrum is the question of what actually can prepare you for ELT publishing because it's a crazy world at times with crazy deadlines and you know it's all rather frenetic so I I in some ways I would question whether teaching prepares you better than doing an MA or doing some course on publishing, whether they're all very much of a muchness, because until you get into the office and you start working in a publishing office, you don't really, really know what to expect. And you do develop skills on the job. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it may be gone, Matt, gone. I think that's true. In my my experience, and I I guess my experience is limited to working for a, a smaller, a smaller ART publisher, where it is more, you are more doing what might be considered separate processes at the same time in, in you know from a pure this is proofreading this is content development this is copy editing etc perspective and also so you're a lot of the time you're thinking on your feet and solving problems and kind of yeah and it's not it that you, you don't really feel like you're falling back on your the fact that you're a language teacher once you're more like how are we going to get this on the page how are we going to make this work on a case-by-case basis and it's more about building up, up experience from that point rather than anything that you you learned in the classroom seven years ago well, and added to that, the fact that the profile is, has changed, the, the, the profile of teaching and course materials and pedagogical approaches really has changed quite a lot in the past five to 10 years. So, you know, you've got to keep up with all that as well. So I think, that, I don't know, there's a whole load of factors that come into play. And you just basically, however well equipped you might feel to go and start on day one in a publishing office, um, I think you'll find you still have quite a lot to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, part of me feels like, I mean, I'm coming coming from this perspective because I didn't do a publishing master's, but I think I definitely just learned by doing and maybe coming into it without any expectations can be quite a good thing sometimes. I didn't really know what to expect. I'd kind of done some research into some, some trade publishers, but my only real context for ELT publishing was what I'd learned about Garnet in my interview prep. <laughs> uh, and then just the, the course books that I'd been using during my teaching experience. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what doing a publishing master's is like, but I'm did you do and any... how focused will it be on ELT? Yeah, is there, was anyway? there any ELT element But even, honestly, um, and I can only speak for the masters that I did, there was, the, even that was very low on nitty gritty. I did training courses after my masters. It was very much more sort of macro ideas and how publishing works in a, from a macro perspective rather than any kind of like, this is proofreading, this is uh, standard marks that you use and this is how the process works. It wasn't so much that at all. Um, so yeah, my masters didn't prepare me either at all for actually yeah. working as a desk editor. <laughs> but that probably says more about the masters and everything um <laughs> so what i think did help with them um, to go back to what did help is that having an elt background even though as you say rachel like pedagogy has obviously moved on you, you would hope in the last 10 years since i was teaching at least you, you can know what you can work with authors and liaise with authors and understand and be talking the same language as authors mm. you know if you're working on content development with them at least you're you've got that grounding so at least you're you, you feel like you're on a footing where you can have a meaningful conversation with mm. an author about content 
<laughs> which I couldn't, which, which when I was working in medical publishing and legal publishing, I was just utterly unable to do, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Now, I think that's absolutely true. But then just think about what we were saying. Teachers, they've used the course books, therefore they will understand like a bit about the publishing process. Actually, I don't think that's necessarily true because you use a course book. So there you are with everything on the page and so forth. I don't think you give a second thought as a teacher to how that book evolved and how it was created and what went into it and what the constraints were on what went into it, how much time it took, how many versions there might have been, how many people contributed and all of those aspects. I mean, those aspects of the publishing process are not really of any interest to the teacher, if you like. They deal with what the end result and that's it. I don't yeah. think teaching prepare you for the publishing process from conception to publication uh, in any way, really. Um, I don't think that the teachers have any idea of, they might have unrealistic expectations, in fact, of where a book is produced and how much could be put in. You know, there are financial constraints and there are policy constraints and all kinds of things that limit what we can actually put into a book. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah agreed. Yeah. But I, I mean, as a, I remember looking at textbooks and thinking, you know, I could do this a million times mm. better. And we do, mm. let's be clear, mm. the books that we produce are a million times better than what I was teaching, <laughs> <laughs> teaching with it 20 years ago in Japan. But yeah, it is a, it's an extremely involved and complicated process. So yeah, it's, it's not something that you can just walk into a, you know, to a career and expect to be, you know, firing on all cylinders until at least one or two years into your, and more, mm. your development as, a, as an editor. Mm. Maybe we should conclude by everyone saying one thing they miss about ELT teaching um, and then maybe one thing they really love about publishing. Just give it a nice round feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Rachel, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah. What, what I, I mean, I miss the kids. I miss the pupils. I miss some of them, uh, their enthusiasm, at least till they got up to proficiency level when they weren't really that enthusiastic at all. I kind of miss the challenge of getting them engaged, as it were. Um, but with the little ones, you could you could really kind of see them learning. You could almost watch the process. And I love that. I miss, I miss that a little bit. Yeah, it's not yeah I mean, except I think I'm going to say something quite similar to Rachel, though, about, that's fine. you know, I think that's a kind of really rewarding bit is seeing some kids who maybe have been struggling before or don't seem that interested suddenly start to kind of like get more involved and yeah. start to understand something that's that you've been trying to kind of drum into them. And I think you just you just you do develop really like lovely bonds with your students as well even if it is just you know being like what are you up to on the weekend and that sort of thing like I think the relationship you get with your students is really is really lovely Mm -hmm. we're obviously a bit more detached from people that people using our books now so yeah I'm I'm the same really that's the thing that I I missed it terribly for for years after I stopped teaching just the bond you had with students that is ridiculously intense especially when you're in a very small um, private language school where I was literally teaching the same people sometimes three or four lessons um, one-on-one or one-on-two a week so you kind of got to know people pretty well and you develop these pretty yeah close relationships with people so you miss that a lot and yeah and then the satisfaction of seeing the ones that did improve improve a lot in front of your eyes and yeah of course that's hugely satisfying a huge sense of achievement when when you see that happening Mm, yeah everyone obviously has very similar answers but that clearly is very telling of like the Mm. really good things about teaching the other the other thing about um my language school is there was you did have a a camaraderie with the other teachers which was lovely you know the de- the debrief in the bar after after the day we kind of 
where I was, we had to sort of force it, like ban each other from talking about work to an extent, because the, especially for inexperienced teachers, there's, you're so overwhelmed by experiences in the first couple of um, couple of months or couple of years, even of teaching, that you kind of you just want to talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. It is completely all encompassing, and you, and again, you, even people from very different walks of life that you that you share a, a staff room with, you, you kind of build up a, a pretty serious camaraderie because you're all in the same boat. A lot of the time, you are kind of slightly out of your depth and kind of kind of um, relying on each other for support. So that's kind of a nice a nice thing that I miss too. That kind of sense of being part of a part of a team, being part of a well, I mean, we're part of a we're part of it. That was going to be my answer to the to what I love about working in publishing too. But it's kind of a part of a. But it's like a shared experience, isn't it? Yeah, that kind of sense of a of shared experience where you're 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 doing something for the first time, you're out of your depth, you don't really know what you're doing, but you, you make it work for for yourself, and then you watch your, your friends around you do the, doing the same thing, and that's that's a really yeah. nice feeling. And that and it helps though when you do have those discussions because then you're like, well, I had trouble with this, and I'm like, oh, I had trouble with that too, and then someone else might be like, oh, mm. well, I figured out how to do that, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. how yeah. to explain that grammar point or something. So that's really yeah, that's mm. really helpful. Yeah. And what do we love about publishing? <laughs> well, you were going somewhere with that point, weren't yeah. you, about... Yeah, so it's sort of a, the thing I love most is kind of the sense of satisfaction you get in um, teaching as kind of gradual and le- leading up to something. There's never... I mean, there are, for me, for me because I never... My students never took exams or anything, so there's never one moment of like, da-da, here's the thing, here's that, here's that, here's that moment where something has been achieved. It was all very gradual and there was never, yeah, clear, clear demarcation of when something when something has finished and another thing has started. Whereas in publishing you it's similarly you're working in a team and you bounce off people around you and you're working on something together. But in in publishing you're very much creating a thing that you can point to at the end of it and say, There we go, we did that. Isn't it great? What a great thing to have been part of. What's next? And then you get to digitize everything. And then I then we do our digital magic. <laughs> we yeah. do. Um, Rachel? Um, yes, I agree totally with Matt in terms of the team and all that kind of camaraderie and support and everything else uh, that goes on in publishing. I love that. And I do like to see the end results. I can remember when I saw the very first time I'd ever written a book that had my name on it, and I saw it in a shop in Greece, in a bookshop, and I went fairly berserk. <laughs> and my kids were with me and they were sort of backing off <laughs> the shop was there looking at me in some sort of consternation but I was going that's that's me that book is me so um, <laughs> that was a defining moment in my career that is that is not cool <laughs> no I know no, no 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 it wasn't cool at all but do you know um to be serious that what I actually love is the fact that we we are creating something that's going to equip uh, students in their lives and it's going to open doors for them it's going to prepare them for for uh, their futures particularly with the 21st century skills that we're incorporating as a material now and uh, I, I genuinely feel that that's a privilege and uh, I love it I love it yeah I agree with everything that's been said really I think I feel really much very much part of a team and I think that everyone is very passionate about what they what they're working on so that's really lovely and and I think working together to produce something there is a real sense of satisfaction at the end when you know that everybody has has put their little their little bit in and then (laughs) just feeling like you've made something really good it's just it's a great feeling yeah yeah Mm -hmm. sending it off into the world for others to to enjoy (laughs) (laughs) yeah that sense of accomplishment at the end of a project when you know everyone has worked on it together is second to none really isn't it it's Mm -hmm. good 
So I want to say a big thanks to Rachel, Matt and Ella for coming on to the episode today. Um, thank you all very much for listening. We've actually just got one episode left of season one, which has gone very, very quickly, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so stay tuned for the final episode. It's in two weeks time which is the 22nd of April, I believe. Our senior editor, Chris, is going to be chatting to Zarina Suban, who is a teacher trainer, and it's going to be all about racial biases in ELT. So yeah, stay tuned for that one. Uh, but for now, thank you guys for coming onto the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. And that's it from us today. If you'd like to get in touch or to see our latest updates, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Garnet Education or head to garneteducation.com forward slash podcast for show notes and information about today's guest. Thanks for listening.